Hello, Basic Brain Hearts. Thanks for joining me again this week. We have Chris King on, and in my opinion, he's one of Silicon Valley's best, smartest designers. Um, he talks with us about beating creator's block one micro-commitment at a time, as well as a plethora of other topics like shapes, colors, branding, product design, daily routines, and his own struggle in terms of constant growth and finding his career path and what makes him content and finding meaning in his work. Trust me, you don't want to miss this one. So without further ado, here's Chris King. Well, Chris, welcome. It's good to talk to you again. How's you life? as well. Life is good. Sweet. You're based in San Francisco these days. That's quite a change from you were in Portland before, right? Yes. Yeah, I've been down here for about a year now. Yeah, there's a lot more people here, and it's actually a lot smaller geographically. So it's really dense. There's a lot of diversity, and and that's great. It's just getting used to like being like around people in such close proximities. That's like the thing that's taken the most getting used to for me. Yeah, no doubt. And has the weather been something that's kind of been a little tricky? The difference in weather, or is that something that you kind of welcomed? Yeah, no, it's it's funny that you mentioned that. Um, I was waiting for summer to hit, and it never <laughs> did. Uh, <laughs> uh, Dang it! Um, yeah, I know it's crazy. Um, right now, it's 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 you know gray, wet outside, which is what I'm used to around this time of year, especially coming yeah. from Portland. But summertime is where I was really like, what what's going on? Like, where's the sun? Where, I thought this was California. Like I knew that the Bay Area could be foggy, <laughs> but I didn't realize that there wasn't really a summer here. Oh man! Yeah, so that's that's been kind of a uh, something that's taken some getting used to. Yeah. So it's really temperate. Yeah, that's true. But it would. I think it'd be hard for me to give up all four seasons. I I kind of prefer <laughs> to have some yeah. change around around the year. And right now, of course, here in uh, the Spokane area, it's there's big, huge snowflakes falling down. So. I don't mind I'm not going to lie. Much. I miss that. <laughs> I bet. Some people would say that's crazy, but no, seriously. Like, if you grow up with it and it's what you're used to, there's something about it that's just, it's just a part of who you are. So yeah, I think that exactly. would be really hard for me to give up all four seasons. I, I don't know. I kind of like it. I, I don't like driving around in it, but I love, I love it being like nice and snowy out for the holidays and then like true. being able to go snowboarding, you know you know, without driving totally. hours and hours. So yeah, yeah totally. Um, one thing I was actually thinking about the other day and I think I have the wrong side of the, yep. I have the wrong side of the microphone facing me. There we go. <laughs> Fixed it. <laughs> <laughs> um, is people, you know, cause I, I converse a lot with folks who do live in your area and, um, is it really hard to get out and just go hiking and get in nature? Is it hard <clears throat> to kind of get to those areas? It's like, as far as, geographically no like those areas aren't far away but because okay. it's such a pain in the ass to get out of the city <laughs> yes yes it is and it's like either no matter how you, you you slice it up you have to cross a bridge um i guess that's not true you could go south 
Um, okay. But, but even then, like you're dealing with traffic getting just getting through San Francisco to get out of the city in any direction. Totally. Especially on the weekend is yeah is not super awesome. <laughs> um, <laughs> but once you do that, if you can get out, and it's I don't know, it usually takes like anywhere from 20 minutes to an hour to get out of town, depending on, you know, how nice the weather is, if it's a weekend or not, what time of day. Um, but you can get to nice, like natural outdoor areas pretty quickly. Totally. So we're going to, once you're out of the city, (laughs) (laughs) that's crazy. I remember when I was there a few months ago and actually I saw you when I was down there, I do remember, um, when I visited the LinkedIn campus, which is near Googleplex, there were, there were a few patches of kind of the wild and I and it was like oh there are trees here so okay yeah to give the listeners a little bit of background I guess we should tell them a little bit of why we know each other so Chris okay, and I yeah. used to be co-workers um, at a company called <laughs> Gravity Jack I still work at Gravity Jack and Chris um, of course uh, is in the San Francisco Bay Area and he works for a fantastic company called Thumbtack um, and you're are, is, are you a product owner I'm trying to remember uh, product designer product designer currently. Um, but one reason I wanted to have Chris on the show is because, um, I know he's probably going to blush when I say this, but he truly is one of my favorite designers of all time that I've had the honor of knowing. Chris, you're (laughs) methodical and you are so creative. Somehow you've found such a great way for, I think the, the brain and the heart to meld when you just, when you design and it's always incredibly aesthetically just incredible. And I just used incredible (laughs) twice. (laughs) Um, Well, thank you. I just wanted to have you on and kind of talk a little bit more about your story and your process. And it's safe to say you are considered a millennial. Is that correct? Am I am I making an assumption ish? I I just missed the cutoff. So I was born. Yeah, I was born in '79. I guess depending on which source you're you're referring to, as far as like the cutoff goes. I think it's, so I mean, most say right from like 80 the, to 2000. Yeah, yeah true. So, but, but I mean, you could be. Yeah, I pretty much am. <laughs> I live the life of a millennial. <laughs> I'm, I'm a millennial at heart. That's what matters. Yeah, um, I'm honorary. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And to our dear listeners, um, Chris and I recently were talking a little bit about um, how a lot of folks around our same age and even beyond and younger, it really all ages, um, are always in this uh, funk, um, if you will, and this kind of blurry, the blurry part of life where we're not quite sure. We may, maybe have an idea of what we love doing, but maybe we know we're not doing exactly what we want to do, or we've found kind of what we don't like, which I think is just as important as finding out what you do like and what you do appreciate Absolutely. in life. And just kind of kind of muddling through that and figuring it out. And I think it's it's much better if we're figuring it out together because otherwise... It's super easy to feel alone and like, am I the only one feeling like this? Am I the only one going through this right now? (laughs) But it's nice if we can kind of do it together. And then I think sometimes um, it's easy to, not easy to, if we take our concerns and questions to people who know us, it's sometimes nice to get that outside perspective because often that can be clearer than our own. Um, So I know personally, when I'm going through the funk, I like to take my struggles or my questions to people I know, and then they can sometimes provide clarity. Like Hannah, it's so easy. The answer is right in front of you. Right. And I'm like, oh yeah, okay, okay. Um, they're often right. But anyways, we, we've just kind of been talking about um, finding uh, purpose and also 
um, happiness, if you will, that's always fleeting. So I don't like that word so much, right. but um, <laughs> contentment maybe uh, in our work and, and kind of um, as our careers evolve, et cetera. It's just an interesting conversation. So anyways, I just actually, Chris, wanted to hear more about your background. I, when we've talked, I've heard little bits and pieces about um, your life and kind of where you grew up and et cetera. But if you don't mind, I would actually like to hear um, from you, maybe in a more cohesive manner, just kind of from start to now. You don't have to go on and on, but um, I'd love to hear your story to this point. Sure. Um, <clears throat> no, it's great that you, you mentioned everything that you just mentioned about um, I just wanted to go back to that really quick about, sure. you know, like finding your passion, um, figuring out the things that you like and based on what you don't like, like we, sh- we should sure. definitely come back to that because I, that's, totally. that's something I've been really kind of exploring lately. Absolutely. Um, especially the idea of like purpose, like what is purpose? Like what, what am I doing here? Yeah. Um, so where my background, um, I was born and raised in good old Spokane, Washington. Woo-hoo. So native to the Northwest. Nice. Yes, I love it. Um, I had a pretty typical, I don't know, middle-class suburban upbringing. Um, I've got two siblings, both half siblings, a uh, brother and a sister. Okay. And there's quite, quite an age gap between us. Okay. Younger or my, older? Oh, uh, I'm, I'm the youngest. Okay. So yeah, my sister is, she is seven years older than me. And my brother is, I think he's Oh geez, <laughs> he lives in <laughs> yeah. Knows? He lives yeah. It's like he's like 12, 12 okay, years older okay. than me or something like that. Um, let's see. My parents, um, loving parents, super awesome, super supportive. My mom was a school teacher for elementary school teacher oh, for nice. 20, 20 plus years. Wow. My dad was. Um, let's see. Most of his life, he was in the sign industry. So he started out as a sign painter. Um, huh sign manufacturing. Yeah. His, his family had a sign business. So he grew up in that, um, did that most of his life. And then around, I don't know, like late eighties, early nineties, he had a career shift and moved into kind of the it sector. Sure. Um, and so, yeah, I had a pretty, pretty normal childhood. I spent most of my time, I mean, lots of time drawing, playing with Legos. Those were probably my two favorite things. (laughs) That's cool. Um, Riding bikes, you know, playing every sport that you could think of, which oddly enough, as an adult, I have zero interest in sports. (laughs) Um, At least when it comes to like watching, I would love to play sports. Yeah, but not Um, watching. Yes. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, And then I would say, I don't know, probably around the age of 15, like I kind of lost interest in sports completely. And that's, I don't know, that's a weird age. You're, you're going through a weird time. It's true. Um, Yeah, exactly. I was in high school. Um, I think that might be attributed to discovering cannabis. I don't know. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Kind of changes your interest in things a little bit. That's true. Um, Hormones kicking in. I don't know. So yeah. All of the above. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, I think in high school, um, I kind of, I put most of my time into, into drawing and creating. I lived in the art room at school. That's cool. Um, me and my friends did other weird things. Like we had a breakdancing crew, which nice. is I didn't totally know random. <laughs> not random. saying I was any good at it, but we did it. <laughs> and it certainly wasn't like the popular thing to do. I don't even know how we got into this actually. 
But yeah, we so had a little break So was this group of friends also very artistic? Like, did they participate kind of in, in that art piece as well? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we were all kind of like, and this is weird, especially being in like Spokane Valley, Washington. Like we were, we were like the little B-boy group. <laughs> If you can imagine that, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. Yeah. I so we, like, I was, I was really into graffiti and street art and, um, you know, nice. break dancing and DJing and electronic music and all of that stuff. That's cool. So I like it. Yeah. I, yeah. I think that that's, that was, I mean, the majority, I'm, I'm skipping a lot, but um, <laughs> these are the high, this is the highlight reel. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's a lot of probably not great things to share during those years, but yeah. So I think around, I don't know, my scene, definitely around my senior year came time to figure out like what I want to be when I grow up. And, you know, at that point spending yeah. a ton of time in the art room and, you know, that's all I wanted to do was draw and paint and, hmm. and paint graffiti and things like that. Like I knew I wanted to, I wanted to have a career in art, but you know, it was kind of clear to me based on what everybody else was telling me that that's a really hard hmm. career hard to make, to make a living way. at. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so then, yeah, a friend of mine, as well as my, my art teacher had turned me on to, what they were calling commercial art. And at the time, hmm. like I didn't, re I had no idea what graphic design was. Okay. I, mean, I didn't even know that was a thing. Um, I, for some reason I didn't even like think about the fact that like all of this branding, all of this packaging that I was consuming, like since I was a child, that somebody designed that and that that yeah. was actually a form of art. Yeah. Um, and as soon as I discovered that it kind of clicked, it was like, Oh, that actually makes sense. And these are things that I can like, you know, I, you can kind of shape behavior. Like you kind of have to understand how people think. Um, and it, it just was something that was appealing to me. And so, sure. um, so as soon as I realized that that was a thing that I could do, this was a way for me to explore, you know, art and actually potentially have a career in it and make money. Um, I, you know, I, I enrolled in community college and did the two year graphic design program at uh, Spokane Falls Community College, Okay, yeah, yeah. which was awesome I'm, for a community college program. Like it was, it was great. That's what I've heard. I, I have a friend who's actually going through that right now. And that's what she says as well. It's <clears> awesome. Yeah, it was awesome. I mean, those guys, I mean, they, they plugged me into like, here's, you know, it just clicked. I don't, I can't, I don't even know what else to say about it. Like they taught, they taught us design principles. They taught us how to use the software and all of this was in two years. And this was also during a time where it was like the internet was very early stage. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Um, as far as like design goes, like we didn't, there was no UX design. There was no UI design. Like product designer didn't mean anything except for like you know, product designer was somebody who designed physical goods. So that was way off. <laughs> it was just like either you're That's going evolved. to be. A, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so it was a weird time to like be in school because we were kind of forced to make this decision. Like either you're going to be a print designer or you're going to be a web designer. Huh. And it was clear that the internet okay. wasn't going anywhere. So it was like, that seemed like the logical path to take that seemed like, okay, I mean, this is a thing that isn't, you know, it's not leaving, it's gaining traction. Like this seems like kind of a future proof career choice. Totally. Um, so I, I kind of took that path. Um, they, you know, I, yeah. I still love print and, and things like that, but yeah. 
Can you tell me about um, how you landed your first job out of design school? Because I, I talked to quite a few designers who are in school, and they'll sometimes ask me, oh, what do I do next? How do I actually get a job? And so I, I think it's always interesting to hear people's journeys when it comes to being done with school and heading into some, you know, their, the career path of their choice and, and how that kind of evolved. Right. Um, yeah. So it was, it was after the two years was up. Um, honestly, can't remember how I find, I found this company, but it was a company in Spokane called um, Interlink Advantage. I don't know if huh. they're still around. I hope they're still around, but it was a little web design shop. Like they didn't do anything else. Um, I think they did some, they did like some other kind of networky IT type things, okay. but like their, their main service offering was web design and development. Okay, cool. And that was like, I was, I was big on that. Like I knew this is a thing I wanted to do. Um, and so, yeah, I wish I could remember how I found it, but I found them and I just, I applied for them and I think it was maybe like a summertime gig. And I got it and it turned into a full-time job and I was there for two years. I think it was a, like a year, year and a half. That's cool. Um, yeah, it was awesome. And it was working for like, you know, local companies, just rebuilding their websites. Um, and oh my God, I wish I had, I probably still have screenshots of this stuff somewhere. <laughs> I mean, it's, <laughs> That's I mean, this awesome. was like 2000. Early days. Oh, I mean, snap. Can, <laughs> yeah. If you can remember web design in 2000, yeah. like, Oh, wow. Oh, man. Um, yeah. it's, it's evolved so, quite a bit. Yes, definitely. <laughs> a little bit, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. And so you've designed for web, I know. You've designed for mobile for sure. You've, yep. just, you've done a lot of logo work. Um, yes. What, what's kind of your favorite niche that you've, you've uh, explored in terms of design? Um, that's a tough call. I think... I, I don't know. There's, it's kind of a, it's kind of a balance or it's kind of a, a split right now. Like what I'm doing right now is requires a lot of upfront research hmm. and really getting to understand who you're building this product for, what their needs are, um, and then building something that is going to actually meet those needs. And I find that part of it really interesting and fascinating. So there's, there's a bit of psychology behind it. Totally. Um, and so I really, I really enjoy that. But on the flip side, what, what I, what that doesn't have as much of that I really love is art. Hmm. And so yeah. more, more like design that has more art to it than it does design. If that makes any sense. Like, it, no, it totally does. It to it's like the, the brain versus the heart struggle, <laughs> right? Like there's, there's yeah. a lot of psychology and purpose behind everything. But that the ability to kind of create something really interesting is lacking. No, that, that makes total sense to me. And that's it's hard to get that in in any kind of like commercial design, whether it's, you know, product design or, you know, whether you're doing advertising. Um, I think you have more freedom maybe to do that type of stuff if you're in the ad world. But even then, like still, everything you, you you do has to be on brand, has to be on message. So you know, you're in, you're, you're working within these boundaries and limitations, which is great. And that stuff actually, I feel like that spurs on creativity when you're kind of working in a, a box, I guess. That's true. Um, and that reminds me of a conversation we had, I don't know, it was, it was more than a year ago, I think, where 
I, I think I was musing about something about creativity and I was trying to work through it. And you, I think were here in, in the Liberty Lake office of Gravity Jack and, and, um, you recommended a book to me, which is a really great book called the, the, is it the war of art? I always get it backwards. Yeah. The art of the war, war of art. The war of art. That's, yes. And, um, you were like, you need to read this Hannah. And you were talking about how, you know, um, when there are stipulations on uh, something that actually spurs on creativity rather than all the possibilities being open. Um, right. And can you tell me kind of, tell me a little bit about what you really like about the war of art and that really just, I guess we can just dive into any, any uh, books that you found really helpful as, as it relates to the creative process or any designers that you really think are pushing the boundaries and maybe kind of bringing more of that purpose-driven design as well as just the creative piece together. I'd love to hear about anything you found really um, inspiring or helpful. Sure. Yeah, that book is awesome. Um, I'm actually, I don't know, I, I would love to read it again. And it's so short. Like, I feel like that's it one of those tiny. books. It is tiny. It is. It is. And it's, I feel like it's one of those things you should read, like, at least once a year. Yes. Um, but for me, like the biggest takeaway for that is you need to show up every day. Like you need to sit down and just, even if nothing comes out of you, like just be there, just show up. Be, yeah. Because, and I, I really do believe that, especially with art, I think with design, it's a little bit different. Um, but you know, you're kind of a channel for these things. Like sometimes totally. it's there, sometimes it's not. And you try to force it and that especially doesn't work. Yeah. Um, and of course, like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's really just uh, like showing up so that when, when that inspiration strikes, like you're there, you're, you're warmed up, you're totally. in, you're in the groove of actually doing this thing that you do. Even if like nine times out of 10, what you're producing is shit. There's that one <laughs> yes. time where it's just going to strike and it's going to come through you and it's yes. going to be magic. Totally. Um, so that was, that was probably the biggest takeaway from that book for me. And I've, I've heard that same message from other people where it's like, you know, even like micro commitments, like sit down for at least, I mean, just 15 minutes a day. If there's something sure. that you really want to do, if you want to write a book, like just do it for 15 minutes. If you can't do it for 15 minutes, do it for five minutes. Totally. Um, I can't remember who else was saying that. Um, I just read this, uh, ebook that was, that was all about this. And it's true. It's like, I don't know how many times I've, you know, I've, I've bitten off more than I can chew. Like I've got yeah. these side project things that I want to do, or, you know, it's like, Oh, I'm going to devote a whole Sunday to doing this thing. And it's like, that's so unrealistic. It just <laughs> doesn't happen. Yes. I mean, it does. Lofty like goals. You, yeah, exactly. Like if you can, if you can consistently on a daily basis, chip away at something, you will make progress and it will get done. But you know, that's we tend to think point. that, yeah. You think that you have to like do it all at once or like do these long sprints. Um, yeah, it just yeah. doesn't, it doesn't I, work I think, as well. Yeah. I think that's why the majority of people never become great at something because it's, it's hard. It's hard to be consistent. Even if it is, I love how you put that micro commitment. Um, it's really difficult for whatever reason, psychologically to do it. I, I think because we're afraid of failing or we're just not feeling inspired, but we forget that, right. you know what, if you just, if you go through the motions, the inspiration will come. And I think Ira Glass, who is um, a big NPR, um, producer and host, 
did a really interesting, um, I don't know if it was a podcast or if it was for YouTube, just about how people come to him all the time saying, I want to make it, I want to make amazing things like you guys do at NPR, but I just can't get there. And what do I do? And he was, that was his point as well, is you've just got to keep creating and keep creating. You have good taste, obviously, if you know what is good. Right. Um, but you've got to keep creating until you can get to that point. And it's going to be really hard work. And it's going to be years for some people. Exactly. Um, and that it's such a hard concept to, to accept because, oh, another thing I wanted to talk to you about. Um, I, so I've been talking to some local professors of colleges recently, and this will make sense in a second. I think you'll have some interesting thoughts on this. Um, okay. <laughs> about, um, I've been asking them, what is the number one challenge and struggle you're seeing with college students today? Has it changed? Is it the same? Um, I'm asking professors who've been teaching for many years. And something I keep hearing over and over is, yes, our, the kids today are so afraid of failing and so afraid of messing up that they don't even want to try unless they, they can be immediately good at something. Yeah. Um, they, they're, they're terrified of, you know, people maybe in like a technical program, they're terrified of jumping into learning a new coding language because, you know, they know there's going to be a lot of failure. Right. And there's going to be a lot of um, struggle. And it's not that they're afraid of hard work. Um, oddly, some people may just say, oh, they're just lazy. They just don't want to work. <laughs> no, they're just, I think they're so used to the social media culture where everything looks perfect all the time. Oh, my God. Yes. That, that the struggle piece is not front and center. And so they think if they're struggling, they're the only ones. Right. Um, so I think that it, this is becoming more and more difficult for people because sitting down for 15 minutes a day and maybe falling flat on your face, you know, for days in a row is really tricky. Do you have any yeah. thoughts on that? I just found that super interesting. Absolutely. Like that, that's part of the process. I mean, I, I feel like I go through this every day at work, you know, we're just sketching things out. We're like most of the stuff that we're working through, like is is garbage, you know, like you, but yes. you have to get through it. Like you yeah. have to wade through the garbage before you find that, that nugget of something that's actually like a really good idea totally. or even just to like an okay idea. Yeah. <laughs> That'll do. That'll work. Yeah, exactly. No, that's totally part of the process. I mean, and you, I don't know. It's hard to see it when you're in it, when you're constantly just banging your head against the wall that like, doing just that is actually going to lead you to something awesome. Totally. And I think it makes like the, the not victory, but you know what I mean? That much sweeter when you know how hard you've worked, like, don't yeah. be afraid of failing. It's okay to fail. It's totally fine to fail. As long as you just keep on going. Are you seeing that, that, um, I guess struggle in maybe some of your younger colleagues, not, you're not by any stretch of the imagination old, but you've got a couple of years of experience. Are you seeing that, that fear of, of failure, I, I mean, in the workplace at all? Or um, is that just something that maybe the, the next wave of hirees will maybe be bringing with them? Um, yeah, I think I see that a little bit. And, and, and it might, I don't know if it's that or, I think this is all kind of tied together. But one thing sure. that I'm really seeing a lot of is like not trusting your instinct. Oh. Um, like I'll have junior designers come to me and ask me my thoughts on something and they already know the answer, but they don't realize that they know the answer. Like uh. I can just, I can tell by the way that they're asking me about this thing. 
And they're asking me in a way that's like they want me to tell them. And I don't <laughs> want to tell them. Just tell me what them. to do. Right, yes. exactly. And they want that. And it's like, and I get that. I've been there. And there are times now that I even want somebody else to just like yeah. tell me because I can't figure it out right now. But the way that they're asking the question, like they already know, they've already figured it out. They've already designed it. And they're showing it to me. <laughs> But they second guess themselves, and so they design another iteration of it, which is great. I feel like that is awesome. You should be exploring multiple totally. iterations. Um, but yeah, I think that it's it just becomes it, it's like this. It's it takes it takes a while to learn to trust that inner voice, that totally. feeling that you have, that yeah. initial gut feeling. I mean, I still struggle with it, where it's yeah. like. Somebody will ask a question in a meeting or something, and I'll have this like <laughs> gut reaction. I'm like, and I'll have this answer, but I don't say anything. And then somebody else says it, and then and everyone's that, like, it, "Yay!" Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's it's kind of a similar thing to that. Um, totally. Can we talk about that a little bit about what sure. you just kind of referenced? Um, so you're more on the senior designer side of things now, and you're working with a lot of junior designers. What types of things do you tell a junior designer when they're really struggling? How do you kind of encourage them in their sort of growth journey um, when they're just really, really kind of up against a wall and they would like you to give them an answer, but you are more concerned about their personal growth and <clears throat> success? What, what do you do? Like what kinds of things do you typically tell them? I actually ask them questions. Like I try oh. to ask them questions. Because they'll come to me, again, asking for questions. They'll, they'll ask me a question, expecting me to be like, oh, do this. You know, here's what I think you should do. Yes. And I don't want to do that. Sometimes I do that because sometimes we just need to move things forward. But, um, yeah, I, I really actually will just start asking them That's questions. Brilliant. And, like, and it just sounds like a total cop-out, but, like, the first thing I ask is, like, well, what do you think? Explain your thoughts to me on this. And that's usually when I, I can kind of, like, get a sense that, like, they already know. Like I was just saying. Like, they already <laughs> know. already just know not what to do. It's right there. Yeah. I, I exactly. love that. That's, that's really, really interesting because a quote that I've been mulling over for the past couple months is one by Voltaire, which is, judge a man by his questions rather than his answers. And I feel like yes. being a good question asker is something that takes a lot of time and skill to become. But I, I feel like it's a missing piece often in, in kind of the creative process. And I love that. That's really, really brilliant. Good job, Yeah, that's Chris. a great quote. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Bravo to you. <laughs> no, that's really cool. Um, so in talking about your, I guess, current career, since we're discussing that right now, um, I know you're kind of, and we can delve as deeply or as shallowly into this as you'd like. You're personally, some people would say, well, you got a job in Silicon Valley. You've made it. You've got to be super happy and everything's perfect. And, and that's all it takes. And, and anyone who, <laughs> who, who works at any major company and, and, you know, has a title that many would say, you've made it, you know, CEOs of major corporations, they don't feel completely fulfilled. They don't feel like their journey is over. All of us are right. kind of in this constant, uh, I guess, evolving um, growth process. And I'd kind of love to hear a little bit more about where you are currently in your journey. Yeah, that's, that's it's a great question because it's one of those things that I feel like it kind of goes back to the social media thing that you were talking about, that everybody sort of has their best foot forward. Yeah. And we have these like templates of ideas of what we think it means to make it or like what I what success is 
and you totally, don't yeah. like it, for one that's different for every single person yeah. and for for each person that changes i feel like that for me that changes daily almost yeah you know like i i like one day it's like this is what's important to me this is what success means like just getting through this meeting or um you know, just shipping this feature or like just making it through the day, like that success. Other times it's, you know, it's something bigger. Um, and then, you know, I guess there's, there's like a, maybe like a hierarchy of those things. Like there's an overarching, um, challenge or like meaning to success, but, but yeah, it's, I mean, I don't know. You don't, you don't know until you experience it. Like I was in I was one of those people that was like, oh, you know, like if I could get in at one of these cool, sexy tech companies in Silicon Valley, like I would be so happy. Like that would just yeah, be awesome. Yeah. That and would I think just that's solve- what most people think. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like it would solve all your problems, but it's, <laughs> it's a job, right? Like yeah. it's still a job yep. and like there's still shit you have to deal with yeah. every day and like you don't realize like you try to tell yourself those things to prepare yourself. It's like, you know, no job is perfect. No situation is perfect. There's always going to be negative (laughs) aspects to it, but (laughs) yeah, but it's like you, you, you know, you build up like the positive stuff, which is good. I think you need to do that. But then once you get into it, you're like, Oh shit, maybe this isn't really (laughs) exactly what I thought it was or whatever. Um, and for me, that's, that's actually, it's taken me a long time to realize that that is actually a really powerful tool hmm. to, you know, you don't realize what you want or what you're looking for until you experience a bunch, experience yeah. a lot of what yeah. you don't want. You, you yes. get that contrast. Yes. So that's no, that's a, that's a really good point. It's, I think it's a super healthy part of the journey. Again, that kind of takes us back to, talking a little bit about the negative part of the journey, you know, the struggle and the daily, you know, micro commitments, I think, you know, finding out what you don't want to do is just as important as finding out what you do want to do. Cause we have these ideas of what a career may be like. I know in college, I was absolutely certain I was going to be an elementary education teacher. I started to pursue that and then decided, no, that's not, I love kids, but for some reason this is just not gelling with me. So then mm-hmm. I, I transitioned to being a speech education teacher for secondary education. I really enjoyed um, going to college for that. and uh, But beyond that, I didn't end up teaching. And so you just don't know until you dip your foot in the water. And sometimes that experience isn't going to be a great one, and it, but it's still important because now at least you know that's not the path for me. Um, you know? Exactly. Yeah, that's, that's an interesting point. It, yeah, and I would say that like like – the biggest thing there is like go experience a bunch of different things, like even cross disciplinary, you know, change careers. If you have to like experience different things. I mean, (laughs) I I haven't done that, but you know, I guess within the realm of design, like, or graphic design, I should say, like I, I've played with a few things and then yeah, they try out different sizes of companies, like move to different areas. Like you, your awareness for what you want becomes sharpened by those different experiences. Absolutely. And that's something too that uh, you probably have some thoughts on this. Um, (laughs) I've been talking to a lot of college age kids lately um, because I just love that age, right? You know, you're fresh out of high school. You're trying to figure out what you're going to do with your life and how on earth are you supposed to know what you're going to do? 
Um, <laughs> and so they, you know, idealistically often, um, as I did myself, uh, pursue a path that they're just sure is right for them. And then they actually get to get out in that, that world, maybe for some sort of a, you know, college assignment. And then all of a sudden they learn, okay, okay, I hate this. <laughs> this is right. not for me. Um, and I've been trying to come up with some practical tips uh, to give these um, college-age kids in terms of finding out what they, you know, what kind of a career path they want to pursue. Because I don't want them wasting thousands of dollars of their own money and going into debt for a career that they end up hating. Yeah. Um, if someone is interested in design and they know they want to pursue it in some way, shape, or form, but they don't know if they want to focus on print, they don't know if they want to focus on, you know, mobile, what kinds of, um, like real world practical things could you tell maybe someone like that's a senior in high school before they actually pursue some, you know, some sort of training before their career takes off, what kinds of practical things could they do to maybe hone in on what they're most interested in, 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 in design in, in general? That's a great question. And that's something that, uh, so my nephew, he's 19, um, and they actually teach a lot of the stuff that I didn't have access to in high school. You know, the stuff that I, you know, we hadn't called, you had to go to college for it. Yeah. They teach it in high school now. They have, wow. you know, they have web design classes. They have UI UX design classes as electives. Like, I mean, to me, that right there is huge. Like do those things. Like that's, that's cool. the leg up. Yeah. Explore early on before you're like, you know, paying tuition for these things like yeah. get a taste of what that is <laughs> absolutely yeah that's smart and, and especially with all of the resources online like I feel I don't know I, I I probably shouldn't say this but I almost feel like you don't like college degrees for some of these types of things like maybe aren't necessary necessary or maybe like there's a, another way to do it and totally. I feel like with all of the online courses um I don't know. There's, there's so many resources to just try things out just to get a little taste of like, Oh, is this something that I would even like doing? Whether it's totally. programming yeah. or, you know, marketing or whatever, like just try it out. Like take a course on, on Skillshare or, you know, yeah, absolutely. General, uh, general assembly or whatever, and just try it. Yeah. That's yeah. I mean, that, and to some degree, I almost feel like hopping into a major and, and committing is almost like, you know, being married at first sight. Um, right. And then finding out, okay, this was the mistake. Nope, nope. Um, you know, <laughs> I feel like it's, it's, you need to kind of go, you need to date some different careers first before, <laughs> before you commit to anything. <laughs> kind of see, that's, see which that's one a great sticks. analogy. <laughs> you know, don't totally. want to make too big of a commitment right off the bat. No, I think that's, that's a really, really good point. It's very fair. I think the, the and I'm not a designer, so when I try to learn these various tools, the number one struggle I have is setting up my workspace properly and organizing it properly. Like layering is, is tricky for me. Oh, oh, I need to start a new layer. So I think oh, yeah. that's one thing that some of my you know designer friends have said that's the number one thing they got out of school, but everything else they really could have learned on their own was just learning how to be extremely meticulously organized and how to set everything up. But right. other than that, yeah, they, they definitely would, I know, agree with you. Like, meh. If if you have it, you have it, and if you if you're dedicated, you can learn learn the tools. That's cool. I like it. Yeah, exactly. I I, I sort of envy kids like in high school right now. Like they they can play with this stuff before yeah. they have to fork out a ton of money to decide if it's something they like or not. Kids these days. 
kids being whippersnappers. <laughs> That's crazy. So <laughs> along the lines of design, I had a couple of wrote down a couple of fun questions that we can discuss and maybe have a little bit of fun with, but also at the same time uncover a little bit more of your creative process. Um, sure. Because again, for the listeners, Chris is excellent at what he does, and um, you know, as as having been a former colleague, it was always kind of fun to. Your process is not a fast one. That's one thing that I that I kind of learned about you, and I think that's a really good thing because the work you produced was meticulously thought out, and and it was totally worth the wait. Like for for instance, Cursus, um, which right. was an app that uh, Gravity Jack developed, and you, of course, did all the designs for, um, is just beautiful. And for the listeners, I'm going to include a link to that just so you can kind of get a taste um, for for what that looks like, but. Um, so we're going to go through some fun questions here. You better be ready, Chris. All right, I'm ready. <laughs> so I did give you the heads up on this one. So um, hopefully this will this will be a fun one. But let's talk emojis a little bit. You know, just okay. today alone. So I am a total NPR One junkie. That's an app that plays various um, NPR shows, and I also love listening to the radio. And I think today alone, I heard emojis brought up like three different times on different shows. It was so odd. Uh, but also timely, because uh, my question for you is, if you could add one emoji to the existing emoji keyboard, what would that be? Oh, man. I, I Honestly, this is a great question, and I really struggled with it. Um, it's, it's hard, hard because, <laughs> especially in the world of Slack, where you can yes. actually add emoji. Like, yep. yep. You know, like, I act, I, and working at a company of, like, 200 plus people, like, everybody has added everything possible that you can think of. That's crazy. They don't, they don't all look great, but um, <laughs> yes. the one thing that I think that like, I've, I don't know, it's not a, it's not a great answer, but that's okay. it's, it's, it's one that I, I feel like I've needed several times on just multiple occasions. And I think I actually created one at gravity. Jack oh, yeah? and Slack. Um, but like a green face, like pukey, like, like holding your mouth, cheeks puckered, like you're about to projectile vomit. You know the look. You know like, what? That that's fair. I could have used yeah. that one several times. I don't understand why that's not a standard default emoji. Like that, it seems like that totally would be I, used on a regular oh, basis. You know what? I'm, I'm looking at the updated ones on, uh, on at least on iOS, and I see at least a green pukey face. With Is there up okay. cheeks, so I think they have they they you must have sent them subliminal messages because it looks like they finally added it, but that's fair because it wasn't there for forever. That's they okay. did add a bunch of new ones recently, so they did, and it's caught caught me by surprise. There's this one that keeps throwing me off because all of the smiley or you know smiley face emojis are you know the head is straight up and down but there's just this one that's kind of cocked to the side and every time I see it it throws me off because all the other <laughs> ones are like straight up and down like, there's that one it's really odd looking but it, but there's it's crazy. Well, I was gonna say there's so many that like they have I, like if you actually read you know on slack I think or even if you're using messages on your desktop if you hover over it you'll see what it's actually called oh yeah and yeah, yeah. so many of them like look like the emotions look different. Like that's <laughs> like, that like, is a match. No, no. <laughs> for the longest time, I was using it the wrong way. Oh, that's like <laughs> that's grimacing, not excitement. <laughs> I know, like the the fist, the pounded fist. It, it's yeah. called face punch, and I was like, wait, that I know that's not exactly how I meant that. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly. Oh, I see the green one now. They must have just they, added. Yeah, that. they totally did. Because oh, yeah, I, I did not before. see that before. You're like, great. 
Um, yeah. What are your thoughts, your general thoughts on emojis, though, and kind of how they're semi-revolutionizing <clears throat> how people communicate with each other? Yeah, it's weird. Like, I don't know. I use them heavily. <laughs> um, it's but cool. It's, it's great. It's great. And as, especially being a visual person, like yes. I, I like the idea of communicating with icons and that's, you know, that's a big part of my job. actually. Yes. <laughs> um, but it sort of makes me think a little bit of, makes me think of idiocracy a little bit. It just is kind of like more dumbing down of yes. like how we communicate and with each other. It almost feels like lazy communication. I mean, I'm yeah. guilty of it all the time, oh, but you're too. right. Yeah, it, it does feel a little bit a little bit stupid, if I may use that word. Um, yeah. But, I, I mean, one way I do like to use them is written communication can feel so subjective to me sometimes. Right. And I don't ever want anyone to mistake, like, the mood I'm in when I'm saying something. So I can sometimes be guilty of using them a little too heavily to be like, smiley face, you know, I'm being nice right now. Or, right. you know, so that there's no <laughs> doubt in anybody's mind because... Is this, this one thing I hate, it's to get a written message where I'm like, this could be read one of two ways, and I don't know which way you meant it. But it's totally. yeah, you're totally you're totally right where it does it does feel a little bit like the dumbing down of mass communication for sure. But I but I think what you just said is like probably how they're meant to be used. You know, yeah, it's like it, exactly. it's a it's almost like punctuation or like an accent. Absolutely. No, it's true. And I think even recently I saw a study that said if you use emojis in your business communications, um, I, I need to find the study because I don't have it in front of me, but um, overwhelmingly people voted it as a positive thing, which kind of surprised yeah. me because I know some people feel like business communications should be extremely sterile and you know uh, very serious and there should never be any fun. Um, but personally, I use emojis and sometimes even use GIFs even in professional communication. Um, when I feel like it's appropriate and the person on the other end is, is receptive to that. And oftentimes it's definitely been a positive experience uh, both ways, yeah. but it's really interesting. Yeah. You have to feel it out. Like you have oh, to kind totally. of get a sense. And it's the same thing I've noticed with exclamation points. Like I'm a, oh, I'm a pretty yes. liberal user of yes. exclamation points <laughs> and not everybody is. So it's like, I try to match that style with yes. whoever I'm communicating with. But Mirror it, yeah. Yeah. I mean, to the point about emojis that, I feel like, I mean, that's, again, you kind of hit on, like, I think what they're supposed to be used for are, like, their their powers. Like, it just makes you, it, it reminds the other person that, hey, there's a human behind this. Yes. Like, this is, I, you can warm it up, like, you can make it casual, and it's more conversational, which is how most of our communication is going anyways, to more conversational versus formal, lengthy, written, yeah. long-form emails or whatever. Like, Absolutely. everything is short snippets, and as you know, written the way that we would talk. Yeah, and that's fair. It's like the Twitterification. That's not a word. Twitterification. Twitter. I don't I'm know. Of, I'm pretty of sure human, it is. Of human <laughs> human uh, communication, which yeah, I think I think there's a lot of power in brevity, and I think um, when people are too wordy, it's actually lazy communication and overcompensation. Um, trying yeah. to sound really um, brilliant when I think people prefer brevity. So I I, I get it, but. Totally. I think there's there's totally a balance involved. Yeah. Let's hope. Cool. So that's emojis. Now let's That was talk. a great great topic. I love that. <laughs> that was fun. <laughs> Who knew? There's so much going into these emojis. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit with you about colors because okay. I find colors so fascinating. And um, you know, if her, we've all heard, you know, the podcasts or the, we've seen the TV shows that detail these different colors make you feel these different emotions. Right. And um, 
And that's definitely the case. It's true. Uh, and I would kind of love to hear, you know, your thoughts on colors first and foremost, and, and maybe after that, how you go about choosing color palettes and what your thought process is going into um, making those calls. Well, right now I don't get to choose colors, which sucks. For your job, yeah. <laughs> right, true. because we have a very, very... Strict style guide, probably. Yeah, we have a very detailed style guide, and um, we're actually hopefully going to be revising colors soon, um, which a lot of us cool. designers would really appreciate. Um, we <laughs> have orange and blue. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, I, color... I, it's, color's hard. That's like, that is probably the most difficult thing in Mm. design. That's the most difficult element um, to tackle. And it's easy to just want to throw a lot of color in. And I guess it depends on what the medium is and what, you know, what message you're trying to send. Um, At least as far as, um, as far as like a user interface, for me, like black and white with one color. Black and white huh. with one, not black and white, but grayscale sure. with one accent color is the most effective. Interesting. I like that. It's, it's simple. What did you think I of the, uh, sorry, this is, this is totally, I'm cutting you off here. What did you no, think of fine. the Instagram rebrand? What did you think of their use of color? Oh man, I don't, well, like there's a, that's tough. I don't know. I was, <laughs> I was, I was torn. Um, I yeah. really like what they did to the UI. I like that they went, um, they went monochrome and it's mostly grayscale right now. Yeah. But the logo is like a like complete opposite of that. And yeah. <laughs> like there seems to be like a pendulum sh- uh, shift going back to gradients. Yeah. Um, and they're kind of starting that or have started that. Um, I don't know. I don't, I, I wasn't a huge fan to be honest. But yeah. I mean, I think most people felt it was really odd. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like it, like the icon itself, the new logo, like to me, it looked so much like a washing machine. Yes, and you and you did a fun little like take on <laughs> yeah. that, which I thought was fantastic. <laughs> that's all I could see, so I was like, I have to mock the stuff. Like, am I crazy? Yes. No, like no, it, it looks that's what amazing. It yes, it's spot on. Yeah, I mean, color to me is is fascinating, and again, I just dabble in art, and, and it's fun to me. But I do find that is one of the most challenging parts of art and so I usually just revert to black and white just pen and ink because yeah. the color piece always throws me um totally but I think the, yeah you're right simplicity is powerful with back with the Instagram example I think they did the right thing on their UI because I mean the focal point there is photo content right like yeah. you want that to really stand out you want the design the UI to kind of almost disappear from that totally and they did that so they don't have any nothing is super heavy-handed like the the photos are the heroes. That's a very good point. I hadn't thought of it like that, and I'm actually looking at it right now. And I do like the the different you know the the UI and UX changes they've made. I like I definitely like those you know pieces of it. But yeah, the logo still I think surprises me a little bit. Like oh oh yes. <laughs> yeah, that threw me off. I mean that it was really only that part of it that was like that's weird. Like that. This is really odd. And how much, yeah. did they, how much time that, that was one thing that I thought, how much time did they spend on this? It's very, oh my God. like, wow. Yeah. <laughs> and there I mean, been... all the board meetings and <laughs> right, exactly. There've been a few of these over the last year, these like big effort rebrands like Uber is another one where yes. I just am like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> there are things about it. I do like, but yes. for the most part, it's like, 
It's what? very cryptic. Yes. Like you have to read the brand like manifesto to really understand what yeah. it is. Yeah, it's not obvious. But but at the same time, like it's a weird thing to like to see it at first and to be like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> and then all of a sudden, and then like months later, it's become an icon. Like it's you see it it's in cars. Crazy. Every other car has it in it. Yes. Like it could be the worst logo in the world, but it's almost that repetition of it that solidifies it in your mind as like totally a true. brand. Yes. <laughs> yes. We're, and we're all stuck now. And, and of that, course, Uber's been all over the news lately. So I think everyone is well aware. <laughs> right. Yeah. And I, I was going to say that doesn't necessarily mean it's, it, it solidifies it in your mind as a positive brand. It's <laughs> yes. just you remember it. <laughs> that's, that's a good point. No, I, uh, I, yeah, that's, that's fascinating. And, and so besides colors, um, something also that, that really is interesting to me. And I think there is a little bit of like a minimalism movement going on in the design world. Correct me if I'm wrong. For sure. Um, simplicity is, is something people crave and, and really aim for. Um, I also am really fascinated by shapes. Uh, okay. and yeah. I remember we, we had some, uh, um, folks in the office a few months back and nope. we're, we're talking with them about a few things and they were talking about how um, Volkswagen had done a lot of uh, studies with you know groups and people and asked them which shape was the most um, liked shape I guess the most loved shape and overwhelmingly it was the circle and mm-hmm. so that was one of the reasons why Volkswagen decided to use that as a, as a very important part of their branding and I hadn't even thought of shapes in that way before they mentioned that. And I would love to hear your thoughts on just shape in general. Yeah, that's interesting. I think I saw something on about that. Um, <clears throat> I, I mean, I love circles, and I think it's just because it's this continuous thing. There's no hard yeah. edges. It's soft. Um, it feels natural. I think it's, yeah. I mean, the closest thing to, like, if there's such a thing as primary shapes, you know, if you're thinking of like yeah, squares, uh, yeah. circles, triangles, like the closest thing to being like a natural shape, I guess, um, it's not. But I, I think that, yeah, I don't yeah. know, that, no, that, that makes definitely, sense. I mean, it softens things up. Um, shapes, yeah, I don't know. Like I, I, I'm a big fan of the triangle. Um, Triangles are cool. Yeah, definitely. There's something about it can't remember this is horrible like is it the isosceles triangle or equilateral triangle I the one where the think, sides yeah. are the same <laughs> you're shape. asking the wrong person <laughs> I, I think it's an equilateral triangle okay um there's just something centering about that yes that i really like um and i've actually it's weird i've been i've been kind of like poking around with sacred geometry lately like that stuff really interests cool. me and just been trying to kind of understand like why we see a lot of these shapes yeah and in different communications and like how we've used them, um, you know, throughout history to communicate certain things, uh, how they make people feel. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Triangles, triangles, probably my favorite shape. I don't really have any other reason other than I just like that. I like that. It's, it's a centering shape. It's got a strong base and it goes to a point at the top. That's cool. No, I, I think it's fascinating. Like, my husband is a Pacific Islander, and so we've looked a lot at, you know, Polynesian art and Micronesian art and Melanesian art. And, mm-hmm. you know, um, for instance, in New Zealand, when they would do tattoos, they would just have the, literally, you'd have to work with a, a short line 
Um, it was kind of like a stick with a, a line in the end of it to, to tattoo. And so you were limited to that simple shape to make other shapes. And so there were a lot of edges and corners and triangles and repetitive patterns. But I find oh, wow. those so appealing. So if anybody's ever seen, you know, um, an islander with uh, tattoos, they, they've yeah. usually seen uh, the Maori art or perhaps the um, Hawaiian art, which is a little more rounded at times. But the the repetitive patterns and shapes I find I don't know they're just they're so timeless and so beautiful and then you look at you know maybe um, old Norse art which tends to be a little more intricate but you still see those shapes and those repetitive patterns and right you know kind of going back to the roots I, I find that so so fascinating and uh, so interesting and do you have any books that you would recommend or any resources if someone's interested in, in jumping into you know what you're currently studying right now. <clears throat> Yeah, absolutely. There's one called uh, Quadrivium. Quadrivium. And I wish that I could remember who wrote that. But there's a series of them. There's another one um, that's also... So that one is, I think, most... That one is... It touches a lot on the sacred geometry and a lot of the stuff that you were just talking about. But it also sure. brings in, like, um, the math of a lot of that stuff. And as far as, like, like math that goes into music cool. and composition... But there's another one that they that they've done as well that is just all about geometry and sacred geometry and like how we see a lot of this stuff like the you know the um, the golden mean that repeats the spiral that cool. repeats throughout nature. Yeah, I, the, I love yeah, that. Yeah, that's stuff. super cool. I just searched for quadrivium in Amazon uh, and quadrivium came up. Then Sciencia, I'm not going to say this right. Trivium. Yes. Designer. These look amazing just from the covers. Yeah. If the covers are an indication. They're super cool books. That's awesome. And like I've just barely started getting into this, so I don't know what the hell I'm talking oh, about. Oh, yeah, but no, that's <laughs> I, I always love finding resources like that because then you can just dive into it and, and that's, that looks fascinating. I'm going to have to check those out. That's cool. And that's, that's stuff that I've been like, as far as like side projects, like drawing and painting, I've been trying to figure out a way to work some of that stuff in. Like, so I want to understand it before I do it. So I'm not just like putting it in there and like, oh, you yeah, know, no, that actually has that's some kind of meaning. Cool. That's that's one thing that you definitely I know you take research really seriously. And I think some people can um, deviate one way or the other. They, they either are purely focused on the art and the creative piece, which there's, again, nothing wrong with that. But I think there's there's definitely something to be said for the research and the um, you know, all the thought process that goes into that creative piece to make it something truly great and meaningful. And so um, I, I really appreciate that you, you really take that, the research seriously. Um, you just brought up side projects. And I know in your day-to-day -day professional work life, you're doing a lot of things that, you know, it's, it's a job. It's, it's great. You're, you're getting life experience. But how are mm -hmm. you currently managing um, the creative piece and finding time, even when maybe you're tired, <laughs> to, to, to be able to have an outlet and, and create? And what are you currently working on? Um, yeah, that's a great question. So <clears throat> kind of goes back to the micro commitment thing. Sure. Um, I actually, like, I don't know, up until a month ago or so, like, I would, I would sleep in till 8 o'clock in the morning and then get up and just do my thing and I wouldn't get, I still don't get to work until 10. They're very relaxed about that, which is awesome. That's cool. Yeah. Do you have like I, a really set morning routine by the way? The, well, that's, that's the thing. That's, that's how I've started to be able to work on things. And I'm just barely exploring things. Like I was finding that I have no time, like outside of work, 
and you know, I would go to work, leave work at six, go to the gym, come home, make dinner. And before you know it, it's like, it's nine 30, we're sitting down and eating and you know, yeah. Emily and I want to hang out and it's That's not a great feeling. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then it's like, you, you're drained. You have no energy and it's like, there's zero time left yeah. for anything else. And so then you try to cram it in on the weekends and that just is unrealistic. Um, so I've, I've started to carve out time in the morning for myself and I started out by just kind of like creeping it back an hour. I started getting up at seven, not snoozing the alarm, which is awesome. <laughs> I didn't realize I could do it. Um, you succeeded. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so now I'm getting up at six, which sounds ridiculous. The rest of the world gets up at six or earlier. And here I am thinking like that's no, for me, that's I'm one of those people too. I need like, I need a certain number of hours of sleep or else I fall apart. <laughs> exactly. So I get up at six now and I don't snooze at all. And I go, first thing wow. I do is I, I go to the gym. So I get that out of the way and then I come home and then I have an hour or two where I can devote to basically whatever I want. So lately that's been drawing, um, working on other side projects and the morning is better. It's quieter. Um, I haven't started getting a bunch of emails yet. My energy level is up, um, versus doing that in the evening where it's like, I'm, it's depleted. So I've been trying to work in that kind of like 15 minute a day commitment to each of those like things. So basically it's like drawing. I can't do too much painting in the morning. I really can't do too much of that right now at all because I just don't have the space, which kind of sucks. Yeah. Um, I wish I had more space to get messy. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's really been getting, getting up earlier, having a set routine, um, and making those, making, making time for like maybe two or three, like 15 minute micro commitment slots for those three things that I want to do every day. That's cool. I like that. Um, it's something that I've been working on myself. <laughs> I have a ways to go. I think it's we're in a, an interesting place in life as well where my husband and I have three small children. And mm-hmm. so our mornings are, you know, there's somewhat, um, there's a bit of, I guess, rhythm to it where we do always have a routine we go through before school for the kids. Um, but it's often us giving and helping and you know, working with them and of course trying to have some, some brief time with them to help them start their day off strong and feeling loved. Yeah. Um, but it's, you know, it's an interesting time. And then I, but I have to learn that after that's done, um, even if, you know, I come to work, I need to take some time to kind of center myself a little bit, yeah. you know, and kind of take a, a breath and, um, and, and quiet my mind a little and maybe, um, doodle for a few minutes while I think about, just maybe if, if I'm stressed out or, or nervous about something, just taking some time to breathe and yeah, exactly. relax and turn on some, some really relaxed music, but also um, doodle a little bit. That art piece is important for me. Even I've chosen never to do it professionally, really. Um, it's just a nice outlet for me, and, and it definitely um, is helpful when I keep it a part of my life. But yeah, you're yeah. so right. That morning is crucial. And I'm learning that more and more, especially as a parent. You do so much. Like I, I wanted to ask you, like, how do you do all that? Like, especially with a family, like you're doing, you're doing this podcast. Like I see you post like <laughs> almost daily, these amazing drawings. And now you're exploring after effects. You're like, what are you doing, Hannah? No, like that seriously, crazy. Like, like you, you have, you're like making time for that. Like what is, how are you doing that? That's a good question. <laughs> I think part of it is just my curiosity never dies. 
I, I really am not one of those superhumans that can do everything. And a huge, huge part of um, me being able to take time to create is having a partner that's really supportive. Um, and really, really pitches in with the kids in the house. And um, he is amazing. And I'm not just saying that to, to flatter him. It's the truth. It's truly a partnership. If it was... If, if it was up to me to, to, of course, work and also take care of the house and also, you know, be the only one cooking um, and cleaning and taking care of the kids, I, there's no way I would have time to create. Um, but we've, we've yeah. been married for almost 12 years and thankfully we've come to kind of, you know, you, you get, to get to know a person, right? And yeah, he, totally. just, he knows that for my well-being, it's important for me to have time to uh, create and I've learned to try to do that with the kids around. And, you know, sometimes I need some quiet time. Um, but often I, tr- I do try to do it with the kids around me so they can watch me going through the struggle because I feel like it's important for me to model the, the hard part for them. Right. Yeah. Um, and so our oldest right now is delving into some musical endeavors. Um, and, you know, she's That's learning awesome. that, oh, every day I've got to practice for 20 minutes and this is really hard and I'm not perfect. And, and trying to kind of show her, I know, and it's hard. And look, mommy's trying to do the same thing alongside you. So I'm certainly not a superhuman. And of course, there's always that temptation to post only the good things on social media. Um, right. But I, I've just learned that it's really important for me personally to always be trying to grow in some way, shape, or form. And usually that does have to do with with art. And of course, I couldn't do that without a really supportive husband who is certainly behind me and, and helping and, and picking up the slack wherever because uh, I'll just be real I'm the worst housewife you've ever seen <laughs> I am yeah, that's awesome. it's a temptation for me um and for the first few years after we had kids before we had kids I could keep the house semi-clean okay right and we of course it was always a partnership effort um, and I never had to get on him about, you know, you need to pitch around, you know, around the house. <laughs> it's part yeah. of island culture to truly give and take and, and have that equal partnership. And so that I've been super lucky. Um, That's but after awesome. we started having kids and I was a stay at home mom for a while and, and I loved it. Um, but I was the worst. I would seriously, anytime I had a moment to take a breath, I was like, the last thing I want to be doing is the dishes. <laughs> I want to actually go try to create something. Which exactly. that, you know, was not a good thing because the house does need to be clean, especially if you have small children. Um, and so that certainly that is, has been a quite a struggle for me. And I've had to kind of work with myself <laughs> to be like, I know I'd rather be creating right now, but it's important for <laughs> me um, to uh, do these repetitive tasks to give my mind time to think. Um, it's important to clean. <laughs> it's important yep. to not have my husband have to do that all the time for everyone. Um, and so I've been learning about the importance of, uh, engaging the, uh, default mode network in my brain, um, mm-hmm. which of course engages when you do something repetitive that doesn't require a lot of thought. Um, and oftentimes that can be cleaning or taking a shower or brushing your teeth. And I've realized I don't take enough time to do that. And I need, I need to incorporate that into my daily life more and more, even though I don't find it necessarily exhilarating or interesting, it's really healthy for me. So, um, I don't think that really answers your question, but (laughs) no, it totally does. It totally does. And that's, that's really interesting because I feel like it's, it's those like disconnected moments where sometimes connections are made. Oh yeah. You know, like you have to like step away from the thing that you're constantly just 
forcing yourself to think about and go for a walk or clean the house or whatever it is. Yes. And oftentimes that's where you're like, oh shit, like I didn't realize this because I was so deep in it thinking about it until I removed myself from it to where like I can see these things and things kind of start connecting a little bit. And I think that happens on a subconscious level. I don't know. Yeah. Right. It's, it's, it's really, truly crazy. And I think when I have, I, of course it's the winter, so walking isn't as, you know, is easy at this time, but (laughs) during the spring and summer and fall, I find that to be one of the the best things I can do in terms of self care and health. And oftentimes I can take my kids with me and that's always fun too, because they're learning to disconnect as well. And um, learning about the joy that, you know, not feeding your brain constant information brings. And oftentimes I do find that I have the best breakthroughs in terms of maybe I'm beating my head against a wall for some sort of um, problem in my professional life. Oh, I just can't get this client to respond. What do I do? You know, and and in that time of disconnect and just taking a walk, I'll, I'll have a breakthrough moment or even, you know, it could be something personally it's, it's super crucial. And I think we have to, today, we have to be super intentional about making that happen. Whereas 200 years ago, that was, you know, creatives would routinely go on two to three hour walks every day. And that was, that was their, you know, their version of internet surf time or, or chill out time, you know, and <laughs> exactly. they, but they would incorporate that into their daily lives. And that was a, a regular thing. So if I was, let's say um, I was creating a brick and mortar store. And I'm looking for a designer. I stumble across Chris King. Oh, his work's amazing. I want him to do my branding. I would love to kind of walk through your process in terms of uncovering what a client needs and how you go about creating something that you feel really is going to represent their brand best um, to everyone. So let's say I come to you. I have, I'm going to uh, set up a, a really unusual coffee shop. It's going to be themed around a classic book series. We'll just say it's Anne of Green Gables because that's the one that comes to mind. Okay. <laughs> and uh, but it's going to be with a twist. It's going to ha- it's going to have a bit of a. I know this is really weird, uh, but this is something my sister and I talked about a couple years ago as a joke. Um, it's going to have a grunge feel to it, which <laughs> totally doesn't go with Anne of Green Gables, but oh, just awesome. to, to throw a little wrench in there. Um, what would be, what's your process when it comes to, uh, creating for someone else? Cause it's one thing when you're creating for yourself, you already have the vision. You already know exactly what you want to do. It may take some struggle to get there and per- creating for yourself is super fulfilling and fun. But when it comes to trying to capture someone else's vision, how do you go about that? Yeah, it's, it's not easy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, no doubt. And then there's the design by committee that always happens where everyone who's not a designer tells you how to do your job. And that's always fun. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, if I was, if I was a freelancer, let's say to where maybe that, that design commit by committee aspect isn't there as much. Sure. If it is, it might be more coming from the client side, yeah, which is yeah. okay. Um, the first thing I want to do is like, I want to understand you and your vision and your motives and what drives you. Um, and I guess it depends on if this is, you know, if the, if this is like the coffee shop already exists and you're looking to kind of rebrand it or let's say I'm setting it up for the, for the first time. There's, there's no existing branding at all. Um, well, I guess, yeah, the first thing I want to do is like, understand you, like, what is it you're like, what do you want this business to be? Where do you see this in six months, a year, five years? 
um, and just get as much out of your head as possible. Sure. And understand that, like understand what it is that you know about the customers. Like, do you, do you know about your customers? Like, yeah. do you know who it is that you're actually trying to reach? Um, and if not, even if, even if you do like, let's find those people, let's find those people and talk to them. Like, is this even something that you want? Like maybe they don't (laughs) want that. And that's been something that's everyone wants it, Chris. I know it. Right. (laughs) Exactly. But it's, I mean, yeah, I mean, that's why we prototype things. Right. And that would definitely be a part of the process. Like, you know, let's, let's start with a small sample of people. Like let's interview the hell out of them and find out First of all, like, is this something that's interesting to you? Like, what do you look for in a coffee shop? What are, what's most important? Like, what are your needs? Um, like, what is it, what is that experience typically like for you? What is a positive experience at a coffee shop look look like for you? Um, and then, you know, like just have them kind of like walk us through that. And then hopefully like we can, without kind of leading them, like, show them what we're thinking about as far as like this new version of a coffee shop and kind of like prototype it for them. Like if there's a way that we can quickly create some branding, quickly create a little bit of like an environment, or if, if, you know, things would be done a little bit differently as far as like how coffee's made, how it's served, like how you, how you talk to customers, like do some kind of like use user testing. Like I'm bringing the product design part of me into this, but I think that's huge. Yes. (laughs) <laughs> so that you're not going down this road too far and finding out that like, oh my God, like I've put all this money into this stuff and I've made it perfect and yeah. it's final and I'm realizing this is not what customers want. This yeah. isn't what people want. Um, that's fair. That's a, that's a, that's a very good point. Cause I think today a lot of designers like to go the Fiverr route. If you're familiar with Fiverr, yeah, <laughs> where definitely. I've seen a lot of them on there, all they want to know is. Uh, pick three logos you like from this list and um, tell us what your, uh, you know, your company does. And then they just spit out some copycat-ish logo rather right. than truly understanding your entire process and, and vision and mission. Right, exactly. That's cool. And do you, do you ever um, ask, like, because I'm sure you've, you've, done, well, you've done this before. You, you did this at Gravity Jack sometimes. Do you find that people are have a strong vision often or do they not really and they just kind of expect you to sort of read their minds and and create something that oh yeah that's what we wanted <laughs> yeah actually you're right oftentimes they don't know they have an idea they have a nugget they have like a kind of a a sense of what they want but sure. it hasn't really taken shape and so yeah at a gravity jack a lot of what we, we would do is as you know is like kind of help them refine that bring it to life a bit more um, yeah. And it's been, it's been different where I am now. Like sure. that vision already exists. It's okay. very strong. Um, and it's, and it's like, I mean, we're still helping create that through sure. the experience, sure. but it's, it's, it's pretty much dialed in. Like, you know, that's not being defined. Like it's changing. It's constantly evolving, but totally. Um, yeah, it's different than where you're working with a client where it's like, I have this idea and like, it really hasn't taken shape and they are coming to us to kind of like, you know, figure to kind of flesh that out a bit. And that's yeah. definitely more challenging. Yeah. Um, because you, Here, you, know, you you're, create our vision for us. <laughs> right. Exactly. Well then they become, a, they become more of, you know, part of like a partner almost like they be- yeah. become like, a co-creator with you. Like you can't do it without them. They have, they're the ones that have that yeah. initial insight into like this thing that I want to do, but 
you know, you're kind of helping that them out by giving them the resources and the tools and like the creative components to like draw it out of them, I guess, or flesh it out. That's really interesting. And that's something that I've thought about um, over the past few years is vision is something that is, is, is rare, like strong, clear vision is pretty rare. Um, Maybe it's just in the tech space, but the ability to have that and also express it really clearly is if you find someone with that skill set, you need to hold on to them. You exactly. Know, because it's really a rare thing. And I think as designers, that's what people rely on you for is, come on, just flesh out this vision you know, in such a clear, beautiful way that everybody right. loves. And that's got to be super hard and, and difficult. And well, also yeah, a fun. Lot of, it is fun. <laughs> it is, it's awesome. But a lot of times like they haven't thought through all these edge cases and you know, they, they haven't talked to other people about it. And I yeah. think that's where they start to realize like, oh, you know, maybe this wasn't, maybe <laughs> as this is perfect as I thought. <laughs> yeah. But then it evolves. Like, yes. you know, you pivot to something else totally. or like slightly changes and like, yeah. It's, no, that's fair. It's, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a very fair observation. Okay. I have two more questions for you. So the cool. next one would be, um, if you could create the best, most inspiring office space ever, and this could be. Um, let's say it could be a home office. It could be an office, you know, in your actual workspace. It doesn't matter, but what would your setup look like and kind of what would your daily routine when it comes to maybe your professional, but also personal creative life look like, um, in terms of, you know, like the computer setup and would there be things that you, you would keep around you to, to help keep you inspired or, um, I'd be curious to see what that would look like. That's a great question. Um, especially in the world of every creative agency and tech company yes. doing the open floor plan now, yep. which <laughs> it depends on the company and it depends on like what departments are around you, like can be good yeah. and bad. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Like I actually, I'm pretty fortunate where I'm at now. Like I work mostly the floor that I'm on is just all design and engineering. So it's pretty quiet. People are mostly just working away. That's nice. But if you're on the same floor as like recruiting or something oh, like boy. that, Whew. it's, it can be noisy. Yeah. I mean, and I don't know if that bothers people or not. Like if you just want to put headphones on, that's fine. Yeah. And there's a lot of little nooks and crannies that you can just go like hide in and yeah. like code caves and stuff like that. Um, but for me, I think the ideal, the ideal work situation would be, okay, let's just, let's take my current situation and do that. Okay. It would be, First of all, I would be working from home for at least two days. Nice. Because I feel like I get way more work done. Yes. During those two those two <laughs> days, like I do. Like, yeah, exactly. It's just nice to like, you know, be somewhere where you're, you're not. There's not like a constant buzz around you, but I think that you also need that on other days. Like I've I've spent you know as you know I worked from home. I worked remotely for Gravity Jack, and yeah. I was at home. Like I was at home all the time, and it was just like. Got a little got, old, yeah. Yeah, I got sick of being at home. Yes. Um, but there there are times where it's like, yeah, I could use two days to work from home to really focus on something. Yeah. And then have three days at the office. And those days in the office, it would be awesome if, I don't know, if they could like, if there was a way to make, like partition off these giant open work areas yeah. into team offices. So like maybe like I work with two or three other designers on on my product team, like it was just us in that room. Yeah, that's fair. 
And we really, because especially as a company grows and there's more people on, like you tend to get more siloed and just kind of like have your headphones on and tunnel vision. That's like, I want to really be close to these people that I'm working with yeah, and have a close working relationship with them. Sure. Yeah. Um, and especially now we're, we're split between two buildings. That can be difficult. Oh, that's a bummer. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think it would be awesome to have like separate, almost separate offices, not for individuals, but for like very, very small product teams, like maybe two or three designers and, and like one or two engineers and a PM. That's a cool that, idea. Yeah. And that's it. And like within that room, like you have your desk, whatever it is you need. Like for me, it would be like a standing desk. I, I like to have like lots of little toys around, like, yes. you know, fun little <laughs> Trinkets, vinyl. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And then, you know, whiteboards everywhere. So you don't have to book yes. uh, a conference room <laughs> to do that. It's like you have your little cave, but if you want to, you can go out into like more of a common area, go to like a, like a standing desk area. Like we have a bunch of those where That's if cool. you're just yeah. like between meetings, you can hang out there. Um, that's yeah, a, so that's a me, really interesting point. Yeah. Yeah. It, it would be a balance of that. I like that. And I think I saw, of course, we know studies come out every day that always, we're doing this wrong. <laughs> yeah. Oh, we need to change this. And recently a study came out because, you know, everybody's, you're right, switched to that open floor plan. And some studies recently have shown that that's probably actually not the best idea. And it has had some unintended consequences. And I think you're right. Keeping things a little more intimate, if you will, and, yep. um, I know that I do appreciate having, you know, an actual office with a door that I can shut, not because I have to be on the phone all the time and right. I, I don't want to disturb people, but I don't mind if somebody wants to come in and share my office space, especially if we're working on a project together, I find that helpful. And, you know, when you learn your team members and you know what they need and want, some people want to be talked to more, some people want to be left alone more. And exactly. as long as you can learn to coexist and respect each other's space. I think, I think that's, it's a helpful thing. That's cool. I would love it. Like, right. I, I do sit close to the people that I work with closely, but it's in a wide open area like that. I would love it if we were all in one room and we could just put on music and not listen to headphones. Oh, that would just, be nice. Right. Just jam out. It's almost yeah. like we're like our own little startup within a startup. That's cool. I like it. Yeah. I, it feels like the energy in a, you know, in a small team like that could really be boosted a little bit. Like, you know, it makes you feel like you're doing something really important together and, and right. team morale seems like it would probably go up. That's a cool idea. I like exactly. It. Sweet. Well, Chris, thank you for chatting today. But before we, we, we cut this off, which this has been amazing, by the way, I've, I've really gotten a lot out of what we talked about and oh, awesome. so Me appreciate too. your time. And this has been fun. And again, yeah, it, was, it's, it, it was a lot of fun. It's always super fun to talk to people who, again, are, you know, you, you don't have it all figured out. Neither do I. No, um, but we're trying, do we're doing our best. We're trying, <laughs> we're trying to learn and grow. And, and I, you know, the constant curiosity you have and the dedication to learning, I find super inspiring. Um, but for the listeners who are not familiar with your work, where can they find you online? What are you comfortable sharing with them? Maybe dribble Instagram. Yeah. Um, oddly enough, I'm not, I don't really share a lot online. It's something okay. that I'm trying to get better at, but you can find me on Twitter um, CR King. I don't tweet a lot, but again, <laughs> that's cool. So people will get at least get in touch with you if they need to. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like Instagram is probably like the most frequently updated place. Sweet. Um, and, and what's I'm just, your username I'm there? Chris King. Sweet. If you want to connect with Chris, make sure you find him again on Instagram and Twitter, the King, King Chris. 
Um, <laughs> and uh, look forward to keeping in touch with you and seeing how your career evolves. And uh, I'm sure we'll be hearing a lot more from you in the future. Awesome. That was, yeah, this has been awesome. Thank you so much for having me on, Anna. Absolutely. Say goodbye to your little friend. Thanks for listening to Basic Brainheart. I'm not great at farewells, so uh, that'll do, pig. Check back soon for more heart pumping, brain boosting content.